So many couples will function at those first two levels, the transactional, the informational, but we need to communicate at the heart level. You're listening to a sermon series titled Song of Solomon, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. We are going to dive in today to communication because communication uh, for most of us is one of the hardest parts of relationships. So let's open our Bibles to Song of Solomon chapter 2. You would think that we would be the greatest communicating generation ever. We don't carry around a thesaurus. We actually have the internet in our pockets. Uh, We don't need to send a letter through the mail. And when we get a letter, it's almost like a novelty nowadays. Wow, I actually got a physical. What a thoughtful person. They wrote me an actual letter. Uh, Today, 294 billion emails are sent every day. You're like, well, I read half of those on Monday. Well, the birth of social media has also changed this and added to this constant stream of communication. Did you guys know that Facebook averages 1 million shared links, 20 million friend requests, and 3 million messages sent every 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes. Twitter has 340 million daily tweets, half of them from the White House, no. Um, The magnitude, the magnitude of unending chatter that characterizes modern society. You guys remember the days before cell phones? You guys remember the days before these? Chris, do you have that? Yeah, remember the days before that? I don't remember the days before that. I had a pager in college, but man, life has changed a little bit. And so you would wonder in this age of communication, why are we still stumbling and fumbling through? Why are we still struggling with this? Well, uh, I would say this. I love what George Bernard Shaw says. He says, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So we forfeit relationships when we become consumed with our materialism. And often what happens is we, when I go to a restaurant, I often will look around and, and I'll see a picture um, that, that we'll see on the screen here. Often when I go to the restaurant, I'll see people sitting together, sometimes sadly couples. I remember at Red Lobster, there was a, a guy with his grandmother and she was trying to talk to him and the entire time he was just kind of scrolling, didn't even look up from the table. Uh, And so in an age of instant information, what I like to say is, in an age of of instant information, we still have yet to master communication. And yet when we look at the word of God, we realize that words themselves are important. Words are are paramount. Words are key. And so what we're going to see today in Song of Solomon uh, is Shulamith, the bride-to-be. She's waiting for her future husband to arrive, the king, and to take her away to their wedding. And we're not going to get to the wedding until next week. So last week, we saw the two of them beginning to be attracted to one another and what attraction looks like and starting to set each other apart in a committed relationship. I'm going to be committed to you exclusively. You're going to be committed to me. So we're making a commitment to one another, even though we're attracted uh, to each other and we're not yet in a full relationship. And so today we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 8. Now, some people believe that chapter 1 through 2-7 is written from the palace before they're married, 
And then at this point, when we come to chapter 2, verse 8, this is that, that waiting moment for the king to arrive, for the bridegroom to show up and to carry her away. As they've been courting, they've been kind of uh, uh, betrothed to one another. They're wait- she's waiting for him to arrive and for the wedding day to come. She's back in her rural town, back at the northern part of Israel, kind of getting ready and anticipating for the arrival of the bridegroom. And that's why chapter 2, verse 8, begins with Shulamith anticipating a conversation. She's anticipating the voice of her beloved. So notice verse 8. It says, The voice of my beloved. Behold, look, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Now, you're going to hear this word repeated a lot, and I want you to go ahead and circle it if, you're, um, if you've got your own Bible there, or if you have a Bible app, you can highlight it. But um, circle or underline the word gazelle. We're going to see that a lot. Um, we'll see that next week as well. So remember earlier, last week in chapter 1, we heard Solomon calling her an Egyptian mare. That's not a cut down. That's actually a term of endearment. Uh, he said, she's a special lily. She stands out among all the flowers. And her eyes, they're like doves. Uh, and so now she's referring to him with the metaphor or the simile of being like a gazelle. So a gazelle is an incredibly fast, nimble, curious, and yet somewhat unapproachable animal. A gazelle doesn't stay around very long. They're, some, they're somewhat elusive as an animal. Uh, they sort of come out of nowhere, and as soon as you see one, they kind of disappear, much like deer in Lakewood Ranch. You kind of see one bounding across the road, and thankfully you didn't hit it, and it's gone. Now, some have compared the stag that she mentions here um, to the doe, that she's the doe, that he's the stag. The stag is free to roam and just kind of come and go as he pleases, and the doe is kind of trapped behind the wall, trapped at home. I think that's reading into it a little bit. But essentially, they're using these different metaphors, these different similes to describe one another. They pick some idea that represents their loved one, and they use these words in a poetic and even playful way to describe the person that they love. Now, what I want to do today is jot down five principles of effective communication. Now, I I hope you know that we don't at Shoreline just try to give good advice. That's not what we are as a church. But what we do find from the scriptures, even though the gospel is good news, we do find principles for living uh, in the gospel. And so I want to give us a few principles for our relationships. And this can apply to any relationship, not just marriage relationships. So if you're a student today and you're not married, these are principles for your friendships These are principles for uh, your teachers, for your parents, uh, for your enemies. These are effective principles for communication. So uh, I want us to jot these five things down. Number one, if you want to communicate effectively, it actually requires language. It does require language. Notice that she is longing for, in verse 8, his voice. She's longing for her husband-to-be to speak. If only my man would talk to me. Anybody relate to that today? Will he just open his mouth and say something? Well, we live in a time where, again, we have gained much immediate information, but we haven't mastered communication. I think that there's a level of communication, a a couple different levels that some of us live at. So if I could just speak a little bit to the marriage relationships, to the love relationships. Um, Chris, put these up for a minute. There's a couple different levels of communication. 
So the, the very basic level uh, is the transactional level. And so the transactional level is things like, hey, did you take the trash out? Uh, or how much can I spend on these groceries? Uh, it's just a basic, you're just transacting like you would uh, with an employer and an employee. Did you get your work done today? Okay, good. Very transactional. Then we go a little bit deeper to the informational level. And that's kind of like, well, how was work? Was work good today? I want to know what info, what do we have for plans this weekend? Let's talk about it. What are we doing tomorrow? That's informational. And some marriages, some relationships get to that level, but they still live there. But then there's the heart level. And the heart level is where we're sharing our praise, our fears, and our dreams. So the praise might sound like this. Man, I am amazed, honey, at how you're handling this trial. Do we talk to one another like that? I am amazed at how you're handling this trial. You're doing such a great job. Or, or fears such as, you know, I'm kind of scared I'm going to be like my dad. Do we share fears like that? Or dreams. You know what? I've always dreamed about serving Christ overseas. We'll, we'll, do you want to pray about that one day? So many couples will function at those first two levels, the transactional, the informational. Uh, but we need to communicate at the heart level. I remember doing premarital counseling with a couple and uh, the future bride said, I just wish he would talk to me. He's like a robot. I, I talked to him, he just spits out a quick answer like Google. But I don't want to be married to Siri. I want to have a conversation with a human being. Now, anyone relate to that? Don't raise your hand. Uh, but conversations take language. And so Shulamith calls her man a gazelle. She could have called him a lion. She could have called him a tiger. But she's not emphasizing that he's dangerous or that he's powerful. She's calling him a gazelle. In other words, he's handsome, he's swift, he's cautious, he's curious, he's strong, but he's not violent. He's easily excitable, even sexually eager, um, and especially in the spring. And so she's using specific language to communicate her love to her fiancé. I think it's important that we do that, that we find ways to describe our loved one. My wife and I I'm not going to go too in-depth here, but my wife and I, Jen, we have a song that we like. There's a couple different songs that describe our love for one another. Uh, and one of them is a song by Fernando Ortega. So I'll give you a little insight into our relationship. Um, one of the lyrics he says in the song is, um, You're the first light of the morning, my cool sunrise. You're my love across the table with a little sleep in your eyes. You're my strong cup of coffee. You like to laugh right with me. You're my heart's companion, my one true companion, sweet, darling, lover of mine. So I love to call my wife my strong cup of coffee. Now, I could recite those lyrics to her, or I could just say this in the morning. I could walk out and just say, hey, you're a great wife. Right? I could just say that. That would be still true, but, and it's equally as true as the lyrics of the song. But why not go to the lengths of comparing her to something uh, that is something I love, something that wakes me up and gets my day going, something I look forward to and value. So words matter. Language actually matters. What kind of language are we using with the people around us? Are we using specific terms? Are we using words that build others up? The scriptures tell us in two Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 18, that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's important for us to bring words of encouragement, words that bring healing. Uh, conversely, Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now that verse is often taken, ripped out of context. And the idea is not that your words can form some type of world, but the idea is that 
you can bring encouragement. You can actually build up or you can tear down with your words. Now, in the New Testament, we get a little bit deeper than that, where we're told in 1 John to love not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And that's really our second idea here. And that is that if we want to communicate effectively, that includes not just language, but body language. Notice in verse 9 uh, that she is noticing him. And he's, what is he doing? He's standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Not in a creeper sort of way. He's not peeking in going, hey, what's going on in here? He's anticipating her. He's looking for her. He's trying to find her. He knows that's her property. He's arriving with his kind of royal escort and he's looking for her. He's anticipating her. He wants to be with her. And notice her. She is watching for him. She's not sleeping. She's not, you know, slumping. She's not listening without looking. She's attentive. And so he's not just calling her name while scrolling through his phone. He's off of his horse. He's standing. He's gazing. Now, we know this. Communication isn't just what we say. It's how we say it, right? Communication is both verbal and nonverbal. You guys didn't seem so convinced on that this morning. But we all know that it isn't enough to just say the right words. So you can communicate something completely different based on your body language. We can say something like this. You go to your wife, you say, how are you doing today? And she's like, I'm fine. Right? She's anything but fine. We know that clearly, right? She's not fine. Um, or, or we can say, you know, how are you doing today? And we're, we're like, my day was, my day was good. Right? You, you, you communicated your day was good, but you're looking away, you're looking down, you're using language in a way that is communicating something else. Now, I want to see if we can break something in our culture. There's a trend that's happening in Western culture, and it's kind of a trend of doing this when our loved one is talking to us. Our loved ones over here kind of yapping away, doing their thing, and we're just like, yep, yep, blah, 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 and we're, we're doing this or we're just staring away. Can we break that trend? I'm, I, hold me accountable uh, to that. Ask me next week, were you staring at your phone? I'll know what you mean. But, but this is, is rough. If our wife is talking to us, we need to put the phone down and actually take the time to look them in the eye. They'll appreciate that. Look me in the eye. Sometimes we'll, we'll cross our arms or we'll, we'll kind of do this. Ah. Oh. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of sigh and look up. We'll, maybe we're in bed and having pillow talk, and we're, we're tired of, of the argument, and so we turn away from one another. So both of us are now facing one, uh, away from each other. Or worse, we walk out of the room. Someone's talking to us, we're like, okay, whatever. We walk out of the room. Uh, or, or this is a way of using body language, so to speak. We ghost someone. You know what that is? That's when someone's texting you or they call you and you don't text them back. You don't call them back. You don't respond to them. You ghost them. And so now they're waiting, watching, and they're looking. They see the text bubble, dot, 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 and they're waiting for the response, and then it doesn't come. That's actually a thing today called text bubble anxiety. And, and so we, we need to work on this. We need to work on our body language. And so she's waiting and watching with anticipation. And sure enough, he comes. Notice what he says, verse 10. Uh, my beloved speaks and says to me, here's his words, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. In Florida, that's about, what, 25 seconds, right? The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. It's a description of spring. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Now, notice a few things with me. First, notice the language he uses in verse 10. He calls her, my love, my beautiful one. 
In other words, he's made a commitment to her. He is now exclusively hers. He's not dating five girls and hoping one of those will work out. He's a one-woman man. And it's interesting that there's some similarities in the New Testament for the description of a pastor elder, that these are to be one-woman men. In Titus 1, 6 and 1 Timothy 3, 2, we read that he is to be, the pastor is to be the husband of one wife. In other words, pastor elders do not have adulterous relationships. They don't flirt with others. They haven't disqualified themselves with adultery. And so I just want to say that's the ideal for all of us as men. That, that's the ideal for every Christian man. And so ladies, if you're seeking a relationship with an unfaithful boyfriend, he's going to be an unfaithful husband. So if a man's being unfaithful to you, don't waste your time. Just drop him like bad produce at Publix and get away from him, okay? Seriously, Solomon here is committed to his woman. Now, obviously, that seems like hypocrisy, given that Solomon, the king, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so for that reason, many scholars believe that he wrote this later in life kind of as a foil to his own uh, promiscuity, that he's describing a beautiful picture of fidelity and commitment. And if he could have done it over again, this would have been his ideal. But here, he's inviting his fiance to come with him. And he says, the seasons are changing, and, and it's almost wedding time. So on that note, notice that he, there's a specific timing. There's a season of waiting, and there's a season of watching, of delayed gratification, and both Solomon and Shulamith have committed themselves to wait for that right time. In this case, the time to embrace is in marriage and the exhortation to not awaken love until it so desires means let's not go down the path of intimacy until we're married. Um, and, and even within marriage though, sometimes we need to understand timing. That's number three here. Communicating effectively also requires good timing. Solomon knew the right time to come and to speak to her. And so he takes his time. He doesn't rush the wedding into the winter. He doesn't go before the wedding party. Um, and so he waits until the right time. Likewise, there are some times that we need to wait before we have the conversation. In our relationships, there are some times that to just rush that conversation, it's not the right time. Maybe that tense or important conversation, that argument doesn't need to happen in front of the kids. The kids are right there, and they don't need to see us fighting. Maybe when we're tired, when we're, you know, Hulk hungry, and we know if I don't need something, I'm going to erupt. Maybe that's not the right time to kind of rethink your vows, right? Maybe that's not the right time. Uh, maybe when you're at work and your wife says, we really need to talk. You don't have time to talk. Uh, maybe when your mother-in-law is visiting, it's not the right time to talk about the cleanliness of the house. Or God forbid, in the church parking lot, right before service. That's not the right time to maybe say the one criticism you were thinking of saying all week. These are times that maybe that comment, maybe that discussion can wait. Now, you know this. Sometimes you, you wait with gritting teeth. You can't wait to say it. And other times, after a few minutes, you realize, oh, what am I doing? And you forgive them, and then you hug it out later, and it's resolved because an hour's wait can change a lot of things. So either way, we need to practice good timing in our communication. And Solomon is willing to wait. He's willing to come at the right time. Now notice verse 13. It says, The fig tree ripens its fig, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Did you guys catch that verse? the end of verse 13? 
is a repeat of the end of verse 10. So that would bring us to number four here, and that is that communicating effectively sometimes includes repetition. Oh, I see what you did there on the notes. Very good. It sometimes includes repetition. <laughs> he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. Some things are important enough that they need to be repeated. Now, we're not saying drone on and on and nag, but if something's important to us and we want our loved ones to grasp it, we need to repeat it. Now, I get it. Sometimes we're not listening. Now, I don't think that's the case here. I don't think Solomon's coming and she didn't listen to him, so he's yelling it again a little bit louder and slower this time. I don't think that's what's happening. I think he's just reiterating on the bookends of his statement that, hey, I want you to come away with me. This is important. I want you to know it. Now, sometimes we aren't listening. We're not paying attention at all. And that can happen. And I think there's a picture. Sometimes we can tune out our wives a little bit. We can just kind of tune out our wife and have selective hearing aids where we're just watching the TV. You know, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you say that three times. I didn't even know you said that. Uh, but remember, every day we're being inundated with thousands and thousands of messages. So we shouldn't be offended if we have to repeat something. If something needs to be repeated and it's important, then a graceful way of doing that is to assume positive intent and simply say, hey, did you remember when we spoke about whatever it was, uh, my mom coming to live with us for the rest of her life. Remember, remember that conversation? It's important to me that you not forget that. Um, and so that's a grace-filled way of doing it. But here Solomon invites her to come away with him. I love this invitation. Just come away with me. I, I think we as men should have a, a pursuit that God has given us, a mission. We, are, we know that God has given us the great commission, and we should be uh, fulfilling that to the ends of the earth. And to have someone come alongside us and say, come along with me, my love. Let's go. Let's pursue what Christ has for our family. Let's do that together. I love that pursuit of the adventure of life together. Well, he goes on. He speaks love over her. Verse 14. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So what may be happening here is he peeks through the lattice and she's hiding in some cliffs. She's kind of... She's kind of hidden away. She's not right there on the, on the other side of the fence, and he kind of, kind of peeks through. Oh, there she is. She's hidden away. Uh, and she's not easy to find. Maybe she's acting a little coy here, a little shy. Remember, we've looked at this in the last few studies. She's not brazen. She's not erotic. She does desire him, uh, but, and she does express what she wants, but she makes him work for it a little bit. So he's looking for her. He can't find her, and he sees her in the rocks. So he calls her, and notice what he says. Maybe she's across the field, and he notices something as his eyes come back into the foreground. Verse 15, he says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So he's saying, hey, show yourself, and you have a beautiful voice, you have a beautiful face, and now will you help me catch the little foxes? Now, I want you to circle that word vineyard in this um, study the vineyard almost always is an analogy of their relationship. So the vineyard is a description of their intimacy or their relationship. So in a real vineyard, a little fox would come, and little foxes are hard to catch. They're very slippery, they're small, and they love fruit. So they would come looking for fruit, and they'd be kind of unnoticed. But these foxes were detrimental to your crop. They could decimate your crop within a few hours. And so this analogy is that, hey, our relationship is like this vineyard, 
And the fruit in the vineyard almost always refers to intimacy. And, and so the ESV, and I would agree here, puts Solomon as the one in verse 15 asking her to catch the foxes. Other translations say that it's her brothers telling her to catch the foxes. I believe it's Solomon. And so what Solomon is saying here on the screen, he's saying this. He's saying, let's get rid of anything that steals our intimacy, even if it's small or unimportant. So if you're taking note, number five, communicating effectively includes removing what interferes. Let's get rid of anything that steals our intimacy, even if it seems small, even if it seems unimportant. This husband wants any conflict or any division to get dealt with, to not let little annoyances, little misunderstandings, little disagreements, those little pet peeves to ruin the vineyard that they're building together. You see, communicating effectively includes removing what's interfering in your communication. Church, it's not the huge things that tend to disrupt or interfere. Those do, and those are obvious. It's not like he says, get rid of the bulldozer that's coming in to tear down the vineyard. You'd notice that, you'd sound the alarm, and you'd stop it. It's those little foxes that sneak in. They kind of go unnoticed. They kind of creep in, and they take a fruit here. They take a fruit there. Before you know it, the fruit is gone. Uh, There are some things that can be little foxes in not just marriage, but in any relationship. We'll put them on the screen. A couple different things that can be little foxes. First of all, unforgiveness. So you hold on to something that happened in the past, maybe even before marriage, and you're not willing to forgive that. Maybe it's bitterness because of that. I've seen bitterness really wreck friendships. Maybe it's financial stress. And so the the little bit of financial stress you guys have been going through, it becomes a source of irritation. I wish he'd stop running the credit card. I wish that he would manage our finances better, and it becomes this little fox. Or expectations, little things that you expected your spouse to do or not do. Maybe it's children, and they literally are little foxes. They're, They're coming in, and they're interrupting the communication. I get it. Maybe it's lack of sleep. Uh, you're tired, and so that irritability um, causes there to be a breakdown. Maybe it's things like disciplines, like leaving the toilet seat up, or chewing your food too loud, or leaving clothes out or a towel on the bed. Those little annoying disciplines that break down communication. Maybe it's extended family, uh, like the way their mom acts. You always act like your mother. Those little things that we allow to break down communication. We have to catch the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. So if we're going to communicate effectively, if we're going to build especially intimacy in our marriages, we have to remove what's interfering with our communication. Now for me, and again, I'm definitely, I'm asking for accountability here. For me, one of the things that I realized a few months ago um, was how much my cell phone use was getting in the way of my marriage. And So I had a decision to make. So someone told me that um, Connected to Desiring God, there's a new book out. It's not new now, but um, back then it was uh, called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. It's free. I encourage you to go online and find it. Um, Maybe we'll put a link on our Facebook page this week. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And so I read that book and was kind of rocked a little bit. And one of the suggestions is either get rid of your phone or put a daily limit uh, that you're actually on it. And so I realized, wow, I'm spending a lot of time on here. Uh, And so we've made some disciplines, like not checking email, not checking social media um, all day long, and and especially in the morning till there's been time of prayer, time of reading, time of reflection. Um, At a meeting, and this isn't marriage, this is just in friendships, when I'm meeting with someone, instead of putting my phone out, 
prominently front and center on the table for everyone to know I'm important. And if something more important than you comes up, I'm going to take this call. No, it's putting it away. Hide the phone. Put it away. Uh, If we take walks together as a family, we might take one phone just in case there's an emergency, but we're not going to all be on our phones as we're interacting. If we sit at the dinner table, which we try to do often as a family, not just the TV and the tray, um, we make sure that none of us bring our phone to the table, even as we drive in the car together. And I like to drive like this. No, I don't do that. Uh, but as we're driving together, the passenger in the front seat, we encourage one another in love and in grace to put the phone down so that we can have a conversation. Communicating effectively, that's just for us. That, those are little foxes for us. But communicating effectively includes removing what's interfering. And sometimes it's repetition. Uh, sometimes it's good timing. It's always going to require language and often the proper body language. Now, Solomon is coming to take her away to the wedding. And notice verse 16. My beloved is mine, this is her, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Remember, she's in the mountains. So she's saying, come to me and carry me away. And he's saying, come with me. I want to carry you away. So they're both affirming their relationship. Now we come to chapter three. Now chapter three can throw you for a loop if you didn't have the heading in the ESV that says the bride's dream. Originally, when I studied this, I was like, what's going on here? It looks like she's trying to sneak away and have this fornication before marriage relationship. What's going on here? Well, if you realize that she's having a dream in verses one through four, then you can see her waking up in verse five and saying, oh, I'm so glad that was just a dream. But let's see what happens. She says in, or it says in verse one, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. So she's going to wake up from her bed and she's going to look for him. She's going to find him in the streets. Uh, Verse three, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. So she's waking up in the middle of the night to go find him and ostensibly to bring him back to her bed. Uh, thankfully, this is a dream. Now, later in, in this um, book, we're going to see this exact same scenario happen. She's going to wake up and look for him. He's not going to be there. And it's not going to go so well. And we're going to learn in a few weeks about conflict in marriage and how to deal with that and how to respond biblically when there's conflict and discord. But here, Shulamith is dreaming a sensual dream about being with him and longing for him and realizing that until we're married, right, I'm lacking And so I'm longing to be with him. He's going to be the one who fully completes me, just as Adam saw Eve. And he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now that we're together, we become one flesh in marriage. So she's realizing um, her need to be with him. And that's not going to be fully arised until their uh, wedding night. So verse 5, again, as the constant refrain against the book, we read, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Again, be careful when you let desire awaken. If you're not going to commit to someone in marriage and uh, allow the Lord to be Lord of your marriage, um, and you're not going to wait for someone to commit to you, they have not earned the right to enjoy intimacy with you. Intimacy is the reward of commitment in a godly marriage. Now, 
We've talked about words and the importance of communication. And before we close this morning, I want us to be reminded of the relationship between the gospel and words. So I don't want to miss this because we've been looking for Christ in the text. But really quick, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you kind of have a treasure, you pull some out. If you have good treasure, it's going to be good coinage or bad. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That includes social media. Uh, For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, listen, I have found that poor communication in relationships isn't always necessarily a tongue problem. It's more of a heart problem. So Jesus doesn't really give us the out on that verse, does he? To say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. It's more accurate, it's more true for us to say, wow, I didn't know that was in my heart. Man, Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Will you forgive me for the wicked evil that just gushed out of my heart and out through my lips? See, Jesus doesn't give you the out to say, well, I didn't mean to say that. Your heart gushed out. And and many couples have a breakdown in their communication, when there's bitterness, when there's shame, sometimes both, when you're holding on to being sinned against or you hold on to guilt as the one who sinned against the other person. And in both of those cases, we haven't really understood or applied the gospel. Remember, Jesus went to the cross precisely to bear the burden of all our sin. So every sin that you and your partner will commit fell upon Jesus at Calvary. He received the just penalty for each sin, for every sin. And so the debt that was owed has been paid. It's been covered. It's been wiped from the record. And so you and your significant other, your spouse, your husband, your wife, are perfectly clean and free from the penalty of sin. Jesus has already forgiven you of every wrong you've ever committed. And so there's no requirement for you to just pay him back some way. And that's where you need to approach conflict in relationships from. Some people try to punish one another. Oh, he did that to me. Well, then I'm going to do this for him. And that's kind of a false sense of atonement. Instead of saying, you know what, Jesus covered his sin, you say, well, he's going to have to cover his own sin by suffering at my hand. And and that's wickedness, and that kills romance, and it kills communication. So has the gospel, what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished, the atoning work of Christ, has that impacted your relationships and even your communication? You see, our God himself is a communicating God. Think about it. God used words to speak the galaxies into existence. When God speaks, his words have impact, they have life, they have um, effectiveness, they illuminate dark places. He just says, let there be light, and there's light. When God speaks, there's nourishment for our soul. When God speaks, he defeats death, he conquers sin. And the words of the gospel, the actual news of Christ, is called the power of God for salvation. And Jesus himself is the logos of God, God's communication of grace and truth to the world. When God the Father spoke of God the Son, he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so as we look at how words are important, God the Father says the same thing to you because you are accepted into the beloved. And so as we approach God through Christ, we realize I'm a beloved Son. He's well pleased in me. And the only way that's possible was for him to revoke his word from his son. In other words, he at the cross was silent. 
are communicating God, stop speaking. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who always did what pleased the Father received the just wrath, the penalty for our sin. And I love that the bridegroom here is coming to come, he's calling her to come away. He's saying to his beloved, come away with me. And in the same way, Jesus invites us to come away with him. And so the end result of our faith is union with Christ. Samuel Crossman said, as we wrap this up, he said, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. He calls her lovely. And that's what uh, the love of Christ does to us. It changes sinners into saints. It takes enemies and makes them friends. It takes a harlot and turns her into a bride. And I'm so thankful for the love of Christ that has been displayed in my life as an undeserving sinner. And so that invitation stands this morning. Jesus says, arise and come. Come away, my darling, my beautiful one. You may not feel beautiful, but the scriptures tell us we're fearfully and wonderfully made. The scriptures remind us this morning that you were created on purpose and for a purpose, that you're holy, you're blameless, you're set apart from this world. You're chosen in the beloved. And so as we close today, may our identity not be wrapped up in our sin, not rooted in who we are in this world, but in our Savior. And may our words be filled with gospel truth and a blessing to one another as we glorify our great God and Savior. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going to close uh, with a few lyrics of Jesus' firm foundation. And uh, will you bow your heads with me? If you're struggling in communication, I want to pray for you. If you are struggling to know the gospel and to apply the gospel to words to speak the gospel, to live the truth of the gospel. It may not be a tongue problem, it may be a heart problem. And so I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I pray for those today who may be struggling in this area that you would uh, allow us to apply what you've done for us at Calvary. Allow us, Lord, to um, speak truth. Uh, We thank you that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So Lord, allow us to grow in these areas. We love you. We thank you that Jesus is the word, the logos of God made flesh. Today we have a right relationship with the Father because the Son was cut off. Messiah was put to death and yet you overcame the grave. You overcame. You rose again triumphantly and today, Lord, we are risen with Christ and we can confess our sins and we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for how you are at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.